0: The following audio is from Gray City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Gray City Church is available at graycitysd.com. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just want to um, come before you. I just pray that our hearts would be soft and our ears would be open to what you have to say to us today. Lord, I pray for Trevor as he delivers a message for us. I just pray that you would give him words to speak. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Brooke. Good morning, Grace City, my name is Trevor. I serve with our care team here. We recently started a new series that we will continue to study uh, throughout the whole summer. We have been going through the book of James and I'm picking off where Randall left off. You can see that we are touching on some very, very touchy issues today. For some, uh, these are some very hard to swallow pills. Last week, Randall covered the joy that there is in processing and journeying through trials and moments of hardship. And this week, we'll be seeing for some what's going to be edifying, very encouraging, and for others, um, some of this content will cut to the heart, and it's hard to listen to. James is telling us not at all what we want to hear but he's telling us what we need to hear. We put a lot of stress, worry, time, life into exploring vocationally what we want to do. Our hopes, our dreams, to be something, to be successful. We become so enamored with the chase of promotions, raises, pats on the back, the thumbs up from the boss, that we do literally anything if it means we're gonna get closer to what we want. Success, money, all the stuff we want, but none of the things that we need. We can spend a lot of time figuring so much in relation to ourselves individually that we become like an isolated island and it's impossible not to feel alone. Regardless if we find that success and riches or we fail, At the end of the day, we end up with nothing. I have one singular purpose for this message, that if you are living that life focused on the grind and see everything only in terms as they affect you, that you will let Jesus change the narrative of your life. And when you are faced with the hard times, you see that it is not God creating that pain for you but he is listening to your prayers and he will deliver you. James is saying that there are those that have everything, yet they have nothing. And that there are those that have nothing, yet they have everything. It's a paradox. Only the gospel can change the narrative. Only the gospel can change your story. You can hear from what Brooke read that there's a lot of paradox going on in these verses of James. Jesus used paradox quite often in the Gospels. It's really no surprise that James's brother is communicating the same way. So our our first point is this, our position in the world. And this is what James opens up with here. Let the lowly brother boast in in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. This is a really powerful message. And remember the paradox we talked about not too long ago? There are those that have nothing, yet they have everything. This is what that applies to. And this is what James is saying here. It seems really confusing that the poor man would have any reason to boast, let alone that he might find exaltation. That's crazy. And from where we stand, it makes absolutely no sense at all. What James is saying is this, the poor brother has reason to boast and that that in Christ and what Jesus has accomplished, that there is boasting. Here's the beautiful thing that we can miss. In the first verse, how is the man of lesser means referred to? He is a brother, he is family, and family are accepted, loved, cherished beyond measure. There is exaltation in that because of Jesus, he is not seen in the way the world sees him. He is a child of God. Let's change gears and look at the back half of the verse. It's a little bit more severe. James tells us that boasting of the rich man is not in what the world sees that the rich man is not to boast in himself. He's not to boast in what he has accomplished and what he owns, his net worth. His boasting is in humiliation. His boasting is in being humbled. That although the world sees him as everything to be envied, that the stuff the world garnishes is the best life possible that stuff's not even worth having any pride in. Only in Jesus is there perfect power and perfect peace. And here's the thing. I'm certain that for the rich man, life has been marked by performance, coming out on top, pursuing the acceptance of his fellow man only in what he, the rich man, has to offer. Feeling that constant need to prove himself, But in the kingdom of God, there is no proving. There is no first, second, third, top of class. The humbling comes in realizing that without Jesus, no matter how much you have, you have nothing. It doesn't matter how good the resume is, how good the school is, how amazing your reference is. If Jesus Jesus is not in your life, all of those things are gonna fail you if they haven't already. I don't say this to stifle or to bring a spirit of hopelessness to you. I say this that you might rest in knowing the peace of Christ today. The poor man and the rich man have blessing and they have difficulty in their position in the world. For the poor man, this world is a trying one. His daily needs are not met. He has very little. Yet in in this uncertainty, he trusts God for his daily bread. He trusts that though life is hard, that God is good and that dependence and faith can come easier when the world can promise you nothing. For the rich man, life is comfortable. Life is easy and you would say life is great. But for the rich man, all of his needs are met. Faith and dependence does not come easy. But the rich man does suffer and struggle to accept grace when the world has given him everything he wants. But the one thing it can't provide is the one thing that he needs. Let's look at something that we all need to know that your position in the world should not be what defines your hope. We've all heard of the least of these, the least of these are my brothers. We like, we love the missional part to that. It's pretty much the uh, great commission for pastoral care. And it's completely in the same vein of what James is saying here. And here's what it, um, it says with opening up with verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. This is what Jesus is saying. Where were you when my brother was in need? There is boasting and exaltation for the one in need where his dependence is fixed on Christ, when he seeks the Lord for his daily bread, when he knows not where it will come from. The need is always around you. How do you see the poor man that is in need? how do you see the brother of lesser means? I fear that maybe the following quote is closer to how we are told in this world to see the brother of of lesser means. Your life will be no better than the plans you make and the action you take. You are the architect of your own life, fortune and destiny. I first heard this quote when I was in community college and just to be clear, I am not saying that this is good doctrine for your life much to the opposite. In our Western culture, this is the lens that is very, very easy to see everyone that is lesser than you. The world is empty. If things aren't good or the way we want them to be, then it's your fault. We see the homeless man asking for money so that he may have his only meal today. We can't even muscle the grace to give just a little without thinking in the back of our mind, where is he going to go? Is he just going to spend on alcohol or things he doesn't need? Why doesn't he get a job? We live thinking if the plan fails, then you must have failed. We leave absolutely no room for the gospel. Be different than this quote. See that your life, your purpose is not just yours. Here's what, here's what we see uh, Jesus being said of him Jesus being rich, yet choosing to be poor. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Our boasting and our hope, regardless of position, always needs to come back to Christ. Being centered on him, Jesus saw us broken, sinful, hopeless, and he gave up his life for you. To be Christ-like is to see people the way Jesus does, and it is also to sacrifice for people the way that Jesus does, with no partiality and respect to their position or where they come from. And here's our second point, time in the world. The tail end of verse 10 through 11 in James in the first chapter brings to mind this next point of emphasis. James speaks to not only our position in the world, he also bears in mind our time here in the world. James is focusing most of his attention to the rich man, the one who the world holds in high regard, yet for all his affluence, power, comfort, it is short-lived in the span of eternity. So we'll revisit verse 10 just for a moment. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And then into verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also... Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? Do you remember the super bloom last year? I remember hearing all the hype, all the excitement out by the desert, having a chance to see all the beautiful wild flowers after a very strange rainy season. Believe it or not, James is actually using a very similar imagery here. The analogy is completely intentional. The flower. The climate in Palestine, which he's referring to, um, was much, much more relentless, devastating, and unforgiving than Anza Borrego. In no more than a day, wildflowers that would sprout out up in the desert would wither and die. That's how brutal the heat was. The image is not unique to James. The same analogy is used in the Psalms, in the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of which when they use this image, they're not speaking to the brevity of life itself, they're speaking to the brevity of riches. The rich man that doesn't stay centered on Christ will, will fade away even in the middle of his pursuits, even in the middle of his success. He will have lost everything, even while he is living and amassing his fortune. For many, they don't even have to wait to face their older years for the life that they find and are chasing for significance to fade away, even if they do attain it. Uh, I have a family member that for a, short, for a couple years, he worked uh, in a call center, at an enormous uh, corporate bank. Uh, He worked in a call center with all kinds of home loan issues, foreclosures, all that fun stuff for the bank. (laughs) Uh, So in his downtime, when he was free, he didn't have any calls coming in, Um, he would get bored and he would do something he probably shouldn't do. Um, He would uh, access the system and look at the records for the rich and famous, This is what he found. Uh, Several of the people held in great esteem that we would probably envy uh, what they have. They still face the same problems we do, foreclosures, bankruptcies, unfaithful payments. I remember my family member telling me one person, one celebrity in particular, that uh, during his time, he was a, uh, a huge movie star. He made his money for sure, Um, had all the houses, all the cars, all the good stuff. Yet in the system, he was in the process of having everything he owned seized. This celebrity wasn't even forgotten, but he went on to lose everything. Not even millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars can give you security and permanent stability. The world cannot keep its promises the world is as empty and hollow as the enormous mansions the people long covet to have as their status that they finally made it. Jesus gives a parable rebuking the heart in need of correction. Jesus directly instructs us to be on guard against all covetousness, and life's purpose is not predicated on the possession of the pursuit of possessions. And here's what he says. Well, it the gospel says, Uh, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. This is something we need to hear. We know that not only is time limited for us in this world, but we also need to be mindful of our presence with the time we have. Jesus is dropping a lot of truth here. The man that stores up treasures for himself is not rich toward God. The sin is not to have, the sin is not to care. Solomon uh, too had a lot of wisdom uh, commenting on the same issue. How the world and pursuits of riches and all of your work will soon one day fail you. And for some context here, Solomon was the son of King David His success is superseded even that of his father. No king in Israel ever amassed greater fortune, nor were they as wise as he was. He wrote uh, the wisdom books that we have in the Bible. And this is what Solomon has to say, what he's telling us. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows rather he will be wise or a fool Yet he will be master of all which I toiled for and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Solomon tells us not only that the pursuits of possessions are vain and meaningless, but there will come a time when you hand over everything that you have worked so hard to accomplish no matter what it is. That you may hand over to a person that has no wisdom to preside over what you have worked so hard for. For many, many, many years, and in an instant, in their folly, The works of your hands could be in ruins. No legacy, all gone. And for someone like Solomon, this was all despair. Our time in this world ends with handing over our work, our hopes, our dreams. If you place all your chips in your job, possible career, school, money, you will be failed. Make this time here count. Trust that Jesus will bring you joy, that he will free you from the burdens that you have shackled to your soul. And here's uh, our third point, our place in the world. We will uh, completely change focus in this last portion uh, of the text. Um, it's very important, but it is very different from the other verses. Um, we spend a lot of time looking And what the world urges us is important, worth living for, our position. Um, And even what the world would tell us what is worth taking for. In these verses, James uh, tells us a message that is absolutely critical every day. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life What we hear shapes the way not only that we identify what temptation is, but also see that temptation is not from the Father. Have you ever been in a place of either temptation or struggle where in your your mind you chose to blame God for the presence of that sin? This passage can be one of two things, very encouraging, Yet at the same time, if you are focused on yourself, this passage is gonna humble you. It's easy to see anything bad and say, well, if if God is so good, then why did that happen? We very rarely will consider amongst these temptations that it is our own desires that ensnare and addict us to the sin. And we know full well that the consequences are for reaping the seed sown by sin. Sin always produces death and you don't have to reach your final days to feel that. Have peace knowing that God will never tempt you. Why would the shoulders that carry you out of your sins, the very ones that died for you, be the source of your sins? Jesus saved you from you. I urge you to be the one who remains steadfast in the midst, in the middle of all the temptations and trials. To remain steadfast isn't what we want. It can be so easy to get caught up in what we are told is worth finding all hope. To waver, especially when we are in a season or place that is so hard to stay on the path. Know that God hears you. And with him, you can stand through this time of testing. And he will crown you with life. Here's the thing. Through Christ, you are freely given what the world can never deliver. Real hope. That's what you can trust. And I want to change focus for a second and ask this question. How can I trust Jesus through the time of my trials, my temptations, and my hardships? Here's a verse I think will be very helpful. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows completely what it feels like. He knows, he experienced it but there's something that makes Christ the perfect Messiah. And C.S. Lewis hits the nail right on the head here. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the man who knows the full of what temptation brings or means. You can absolutely trust in Jesus when you go through those hard times and those thoughts. He was on earth as a man He lived this life we live. He never wavered. He is unique in that he never gave into temptation ever. And the times were hard. He knows to the perfect depths that of which you struggle, that you doubt and that you're searching. I wanna leave you with just a couple takeaways before wrapping up, just a, a few questions to process over during the week. The first one is this, whose story are you telling? Remember earlier when we mentioned that the only boasting that there is is in Christ alone? This is how we communicate that boasting. When I began doing public ministry in the hospital, uh, one of the helpful bits that always uh, stayed with me is uh, when one of the chaplains said that people are living documents, meaning that their story is still being written by God, meaning that their story isn't over, that God is still writing and that things can be edited because God is moving in their life. We can apply this to how the gospel has changed our lives and that God, day by day, is writing his story through our lives. I encourage you that when there are opportunities to share of the hope you have in Jesus, that you are sharing not only that first experience of knowing him, of accepting the gospel, that you are also sharing with people how he is day by day changing your life. His story is where there is boasting, Jesus's story. Not in us, but in Christ. And initially, this is gonna be really hard. It's so easy to tell a story and be so fixed only on us and that story. But this story is bigger. It's bigger than us. And if you want those around you to experience the gospel, God has to be the center, not you. The second takeaway is this, is where are you rooted? You are rooted in where your hope is, where the hope of the story is. Regardless of position, and regardless of how trying this season, we have to ask, where are we really rooted? If the day is easy or if the day is hard, are you seeking God? Do you ask him on the hard days how to make it through? And on the easy days, do you praise him that the day was so easy? It can happen so fast that when things are comfortable and smooth that we forget so quickly that God is as ever-present in those moments, in the easy moments as he has in the hard moments. Always bear in mind that we need to remain in God always. He is where our trust can be placed here's our final takeaway. Where will you, where will you turn? Where, where are you gonna go when things are hard? I wanna leave you with this last and final thing. And I want you to really think about it. Even if it's something you have to chew on for this week, the next few weeks, where are you going to turn? Where is all of your concern going to be placed when your back is against the wall? Our struggle and temptation hinges on our sinful desires. The question we have to ask in order to make this change when temptation comes, we can seek one of two things in that moment. You can settle for the high of the sin, that feeling that you get, or you can try to make a change. And where you turn to, it shows I'll leave you uh, with this quote from Martin Luther. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers, um, that you have, you being rich, uh, gave up your life. You embraced poverty so that we might have riches, those that don't deserve that, Lord. I pray that though the message is hard, Lord, that, that there's hope, that we can trust you, that we can confide in you, that you're here with us, that your spirit instructs us, instructs our feet. And we pray for a heart that seeks you and seeks your people. And Jesus, we, um, we are so thankful for what you have given us. It's in your name we pray, Amen.